Welcome everyone to another episode of POV Crypto. I'm David Hoffman here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? What a day, David. It's not every Sunday that you uh, begin the day with three hours of manual labor, but that's how I started my day. How are you doing? Yeah, that's not the only time I've heard that this weekend. Was it snow? Shoveling snow? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, I went to Tahoe and it was dumping on Saturday night. So we had to dig our cars out and like maybe 10 feet of road in order to get out. But yeah, hey, I, I got a good workout in and we, we got home safe and in a timely fashion. So it all worked out. Yeah, we experienced the same thing here in Seattle. Friday night, it started just sprinkling some snowflakes and then it just doubled down. And it's like the most snow we've seen here in Seattle in the last uh, decade. That's that's a true statement. That's not much me throwing out 10 years. It was actually 10 years to the day. We, we have a great show lined up for y'all. Uh, some updates on an exciting uh, green week in crypto, as well as a lot of uh, action on Twitter and uh, in the community. So excited to uh, bring this episode to y'all. Yeah, I would, I would. Every time I see green, I would get excited, but then I always start to feel bad. It's like, gosh, snap! I haven't had enough time to buy more. Like I'm not positioned where I want to be yet. So you know, hopefully this is just noise. This is just isn't really anything big, but who knows? I think it's funny when people make the switch of wanting it to go up to being mad when it goes up because they haven't bought enough yet. Yeah, either you are totally brainwashed and you're in crypto for the long haul, either it goes to the moon or goes to zero, or you really, really believe in your investments. And I hope I'm the second one. Hey, Christian, do you own any Litecoin at the moment? (laughs) I do not own any Litecoin right now, but that would have been nice. Neither do I. I don't think I've ever owned Litecoin. But if you have owned Litecoin, Litecoin's gone from like $20 to like $44. That's just insane. Why? Why so much action? What's going on? Charlie is buying back in. Do you think that's that is the reason? I yeah, I think that Charlie has bought back in at the bottom, and now he's pumping it, and he's a fantastic pumper. Yeah, because he he when he sold, he started talking about a lot of other cryptocurrencies. Like he started talking about how great Bitcoin is. Like had a lot of questions about the Nano cryptocurrency, Uh, and then yeah, now he's now he bought back in at the bottom, talking about Litecoin again. You know. Yeah, teaming up with Beam, bringing confidentiality, whatever. Do you know? Do you know how that's gonna work? Like, Litecoin is gonna be private because of Beam? No, uh-uh. uh, uh-huh. who, who the hell knows? We'll figure it out if they actually do something. I think it's for it's for pump purposes. For pump purposes, that's the mechanism. <laughs> so we had an episode with Max uh, that just came out recently, and after the episode, we spent like another hour, hour and a half, like just chit-chatting about crypto and we totally should have recorded it because it would have been great content but uh max uh, kind of started uh sprinkling sprinkling a little decred optimism into christian and, and mine's minds uh i haven't totally looked into decred to to know i know it as well as i know things like maker or ether um but i it's definitely on my short list to investigate and uh, from from what I've heard, it's got a very unique value proposition where it, is, it advertises itself as fork resistant. So whereas like Bitcoin has been forked into Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin SV, uh, Bitcoin Gold, Bitcoin Diamond, and some people claim that that's been dilutive of Bitcoin's branding, its value. It's been a splintering of Bitcoin's value. And so the value proposition for Decred is that because it has a governance layer on top of it, uh, and you can vote which chain to go on to, that won't happen. And so far, that has not yet happened. And so people like Chris Berniski and other venture firms are, are putting money on Decred for, for this specific purpose. Uh, and I think that, like, that, that, you know, for one-to-one, I'd rather have, like, a Bitcoin versus a Decred, um, s- simply not because of the price, obviously, because that's obviously too easy, but simply because, like, you know, of the other value propositions that Bitcoin has, but Decred is like a $156 million market cap and that is nothing. And so like, I, I don't like, I think it's, it's just like, it's so low that like, it's a, it's a tempting buy. Like it, it doesn't have to go like if it took 2% of Bitcoin's market cap, this is what Max was saying. If Decred took 2% of Bitcoin's market cap, it's undervalued by like a hundred X. So, so that's interesting. I feel like I've talked about how I don't like voting on the blockchain at all. And 
this like fork proof stuff is completely ridiculous. If I wanted to go into Decred's library on GitHub and fork the code, there is nothing they could do to stop me. It is as fork proof as Bitcoin is fork proof as, you know, none of these other things have actually convinced anyone that they are Bitcoin instead, right? Like, what are they saying when they're saying they're fork proof? Like, I, I just don't understand. I just don't understand. Like, like they can't. Like, there's a staking. Well, they're not saying they're fork proof. They're saying they're fork resistant. And so, I think in a big block, little block debate, I they're claiming that they would have not had that problem, and they would have they would have one chain would have retained a higher percentage of the community than than what we saw happen in Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. Sure. Yeah. So essentially, they're saying that we can hard fork and we can coordinate people around it. Yes. Yes. If, if necessary. And, and to, to this date, like scoreboard Bitcoin has like a billion forks and uh, some of those forks have a pretty good share of its market cap and Decred doesn't have one. Yeah. But what's, you're just talking about how low Decred's market cap is. Look, you guys, it's a good speculation. True. Sure, why not? There's a it's lot a, of things out. It's in, a potentially good speculation. There's, there's a lot of things out here that are potentially good speculations where you could make money, but like you got to decipher some of this marketing lingo. Like fork proof. Like, okay, whatever. It's literally nothing special. You have governance on it. You know, Max is bullish on a few that other is factors, That's but special. still, like, it 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 just seems like a good pump to me. It might be worth it just for that. Like Chris Berniski, like people like to to pump their bags and Chris Berniski is an honest guy who puts out a lot of good content, but like he doesn't put out content about, you know, scam coin number, you know, verge not on rank 49. Doesn't talk about that stuff. He talks about good stuff. So he's like simultaneously telling the world that like he believes in the potential of decred to some, to a worthy enough extent to throw a bunch of money at it. And a lot of people listen to him and he's not the only one. So like that's a value proposition in a, in of itself. I think, uh, I think one of our uh, upcoming guests is potentially into Decred as well. Interestingly enough, uh, Decred, I believe I need to, to research this before I make statements, but they were governance. The governance of Decred was looking to hire uh, two PR firms, Washman or one other one. I can't remember. Uh, and it's like this really interesting phenomenon where this decentralized governance community governance standard has elected to hire out a a centralized pr firm for the benefit of the chain as a whole which is like really interesting like who does D, who does washman like reach out to when like they say hey like here's our strategy you want to approve it or not or like what like who who's going to help lead us and so there's this interesting thing going on where a pr a centralized pr agency is doing pr for this decentralized network of of people I think that's kind of cool and that's another value proposition because they're paying they're paying shills they're they're paying Washman to be shills for them kind of sounds <laughs> kind of sounds like dash dash was buying marketing yeah, and stuff like very that similar. like yeah i mean again so what so what <laughs> it's not that none of it resembles the real deal to me so Again, if you want to make some money on that's it, because the real deal is whatever Bitcoin is for you. That's your prerogative. You can expose yourself to that risk. You can make that choice. I might make that choice, you know. But so what? Any other uh, interesting little altcoins that you think about speculating on, Christian? I mean, God, I've hang out with you enough. I might as well freaking buy some Maker. Jesus Christ! Yeah. <laughs> Don't get left, bro. <laughs> Don't get left. To be, hey, you know, I I I think XRP and Tron are the go-to pumps, if you will. So, not investment Tron advice. Tron looks like it's been in the middle of it, doesn't it? But, dude, like, how could you bet against Tron as a potential pump? That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, it's well, it's been pumping. It's been pumping since uh, since November, dude. Yeah, I mean, I meant like, a, like a real pump. Versus- like, it's going to be there in the next cycle pump. I would say Tron's better than XRP in that fact. Honestly, like with the stablecoin thing, like XRP's narrative is just becoming so much weaker. Yeah, people are just getting really annoyed with XRP and and their negatives have started to really outweigh their positives. I mean, sometimes that doesn't really matter though. Like for example, Litecoin. You want to talk about the uh, Lightning Network trust chain? Yeah, sure. So uh, Lightning Network people have often kind of criticized uh, channel capacity and 
how you know in, in network capacity and you know how big of payments can be routed through the lightning network there's this thing called the lightning trust chain that hodl not at hodl o not on twitter um his his little icon is like a meerkat like astronaut um so he pretty good follow in my opinion uh but he started this this kind of lightning trust chain and went viral essentially you know people use twitter in order to pass um an ever-growing uh, amount of bitcoin on the lightning network and i believe it's like at a hundred dollars right now so people were talking about how a, a couple times it would fail um to find a route but um so far you know that multiple people have have passed around 60 plus dollars um, on the Lightning Trust chain, which is pretty impressive. And Matt O'Dell. Do you know what they would do if they had a failed route? How would they get around it? Would they just open up a new channel? You don't open up a new channel. You just try again, essentially. Um, but, you know, if you can't find a route in an hour, then the person who uh, sent the invoice has to send you a new invoice. So obviously, not finding a route is, you know, very annoying and uh, bad UX. So when, when they just wait for an hour or so, is it because like things have shifted and, and other people have sent money around in the Lightning Network and then that, because it shifted, it shifted into a place where it could handle that capacity? Is that how it works? I mean, like essentially if you th- think of the Lightning Network as a network of roads, right? Sometimes there's roads that, mm-hmm. you know, can't handle the, the payments and sometimes the roads are free and clear, right? Or in the Lightning Network, there's enough capacity, there's enough funds inside the available you know, channels in order to make make it go through. So what's happening is something has shifted, a new route has been found that enabled the payment to go through. But obviously, as the amount gets larger, you know, 90 bucks is kind of big for the Lightning Network so far. Um, there are fewer route options that can handle the, the, the amounts, mm-hmm. right? So it becomes more difficult. Um, but, you know, again, it's been passing along. And as I was saying, Matt O'Dell... Uh, one of the co-hosts of uh, Rabbit Hole Recap, uh, big time Bitcoin Maximus on Twitter, uh, he shouted out Jack Dorsey, and it was like Jack Dorsey, take this lightning invoice from me or this lightning torch from me, and like six hours later, Jack responds with a lightning invoice and uh, and takes the torch. And then from there on, Jack goes on, you know, essentially a Bitcoin tirade. So if you have, you know, been on Twitter and are on, you know, crypto and Bitcoin Twitter, then uh, you definitely saw it. Yeah, right at the same time where he was going on Joe Rogan's podcast and Sam Harris's podcast. And even in Joe Rogan's podcast, Jack was like, yeah, I think cryptocurrency is the future. I don't know which one, if it's going to be just one cryptocurrency that's in the long term future or a bunch of cryptocurrencies. But like... You know, I don't know if it's going to be Bitcoin or not. Like the future is unwritten. And then he comes to, to crypto Twitter and he's like, it starts shitting on every other cryptocurrency that's not Bitcoin, especially Ethereum. And, and it's just like, oh, yin, yin and yang here. But Jack has a bunch of uh, investments in Lightning Network, I believe. And so it's kind of interesting seeing the, the Joe Rogan face and the crypto face of Jack and, and his alignments with the cryptocurrency world. Think about what his incentives are, right? So he's clearly aligned with the Lightning Network. He's clearly aligned with Bitcoin. Square Cash allows you to buy BTC. Um, I'm pretty sure Lightning Network or Lightning Labs is looking to raise more funds. So, you know, obviously that makes his equity get worth more. So, uh, you know, he has reasons to pump his bags, if you will. Um, And he's been, you know, doing more press appearances and he's getting on some Bitcoin podcasts too, which will be pretty cool to, you know, literally just only talk about Bitcoin with Jack Dorsey. Um, but he's also on record. I, I know that you kind of mentioned what he said on Joe Rogan, but he's on record on Joe Rogan saying, I think it's going to be Bitcoin. And he's on record before saying that he thinks it's going to be Bitcoin. So, um, but yeah, really. so I think people thought he was a Bitcoin maximalist and he has confirmed it. Oh, shame. You guys got to him first. You bastards. I mean, it's like I've been saying this whole podcast. Uh, I think it believing in bitcoin is a pretty rational thing in my opinion believing in bitcoin has got to come on a spectrum or i believe in bitcoin but i also believe in other things too and maybe more than that so let's go on to the to the other side of the lightning trust chain and talk about the x die torch and so ethereum people uh somebody just created the 
like the an X die system on the proof of, of authority sidechain on Ethereum. And what's cool about it is that it uses die as the um, as the transaction fee, and so you don't need to have any ether to send your die, and so it uses die to pay gas instead of uh, ether. Uh, and so this is really, really good for user experience for people that want to like use cryptocurrency for its Venmo-like features. And so I can send dollars to you without having to worry about um, having to also purchase Ether and then worrying about gas costs, et cetera, et cetera. So all of this stuff is uh, is abstracted and, and, use, and operated autonomously and so the, so the user doesn't have to. And then also the, the chain is really, really fast. Like transactions go through in like under two seconds. And so I got past the die torch from Trent on Twitter. Shout out Trent if you're listening. And then I decided to, you know, you know, bridge the gap, just like what POV crypto does. I wanted to bridge the Bitcoin and Ethereum world. So I sent I sent uh, the 15 die that I got over to Christian. And Christian, you want to tell us what happened? Hmm? Yes. So I, I accepted the invoice and, you know, opened up a burner wallet and, you know, was holding it. And I called out Max, who had just been on the show, and was like, yo, take this. And he was taking forever to respond, and it was, a, it was a work day, so I was working, and then I was leaving for Tahoe. And, you know, Max finally responds, sends me an invoice. I'm clicking on the invoice, and it's saying there's not enough gas to send this. And I'm like, what the hell? So and then I start poking around a little more, and I land on my MetaMask extension, and I see that it says that I have 15 Ether in there. And I was like, what? How do I have 15 Ether? And then it even like does a little calculation into USD saying like I have like $1,500 worth of Ether inside my MetaMask extension. And I was like, holy crap, I don't know how I got this, but I need to put this on my own wallet. Like <laughs> that's not connected mm-hmm. to the internet. So... You know, I d- so what happened here was that the proof of authority network, since its main currency is Dai, MetaMask didn't account for that, and so when Christian opened up his MetaMask wallet, but it was when it was connected to the proof of, of authority network, he saw 15 Ether, even though it was actually 15 Dai. It was just a, a some the MetaMask didn't really wasn't compatible with it. Long story short, I am a greedy bastard, and when I saw an opportunity to mob, you know, some some major crypto. I, you know, didn't hesitate and then immediately realized I'm also an idiot. So I quickly realized that, oh, that was actually the 15x die. And now I broke the chain because I could could not recover those funds off of the regular Ether address that it was sent to. So you, you lost the funds is what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, you broke the chain. Theoretically, I could still get them. Like I just have, would have to figure out what the seed phrase was and you know put it in metamask and but yeah i fucked it up for sure so you fucked it up all right well ethereum guy comes out and reaches a hand over to the bitcoin and then bitcoiner just drops it and turns his way hey you know i think that i was testing out the ux and i found a major flaw so um you're welcome <sighs> other people other people managed to figure it out i i and it was also the the whole program was written by one dude fantastic look all i'm saying is i've admitted i am both a greedy bastard and an idiot so i don't know what else i can say (laughs) but beyond those beyond (laughs) those two facts that's a clear ux fuck up like this has to be idiot proof and when idiot looks at his metamask and thinks he has fifteen hundred dollars like come on come on i don't i don't really i'm not on metamask that much i wouldn't realize you know that I, I haven't looked at that MetaMask extension since I bought a crypto kitty. Okay, so <laughs> it's been a while. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, there's the stories of the two side chains throwing around money around each other. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Lightning is a little bit more robust, but it was has been getting worked on for a very long time, which is probably why the chain, the Lightning Trust chain, is still going. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I think the stuff that's happening on Dai is interesting and. Uh, Seeing all the ways people are trying to uh, make it more transaction-friendly is very interesting as well. All right, ready to move on? Speaking of bridging the gap, uh, Pierre Richard, a notorious uh, Bitcoin maximalist, hardcore, um, you know, I don't even need to understand anything about the other or like pay attention to the other cryptocurrencies because I already know what's the deal. It's Bitcoin, right? This is a hardcore dude. 
Uh, he recently, earlier today, posted a tweet saying, Ethereum developers and fanboys, if 10 of you work through my lightning guide and then links the guide, I, Pierre, the Maxi's Maxi, will buy some ETH, use it on Maker or whatever currently hot Web3 dApp is. Find 10 ETH Maxis interested in Lightning and come back to me. I wanted to read this out because I know we have a pretty strong following in the Ethereum community. Please do this and I will pressure Pierre to come on this podcast after he has tested out ETH and talk about the experience. So think about POV crypto. Get on that Try Lightning Network out and make Pierre try Ether stuff and come on POV. Yeah, let's use the POV army to to peer pressure Pierre into coming to talk about this on POV because this is the best. This is the best spot to do this. This is the right podcast for this to happen on. It's not such a big fucking deal that it needs to be on Laura Shins, but it is about Bitcoin and Ethereum people coming together and being on the same podcast at the same time. Absolutely. So I know there's at least ten of you because you guys at me all the time. So. Let's let's make it happen. Get on it. Lightning is not that hard. Let's see how many POV crypto army members there actually are. And let's throw all of our weight at Pierre Richard on this one. Tweet at him. Tell him to come on POV crypto after he does this and talk about it. Thanks, guys. All right. So on to more serious news. Uh, we're going to be talking about a recent vulnerability found in Zcash. Actually, I guess it was found 11 months ago, but they just announced it right now. David, you uh, just looked over a bunch of articles. Uh, you want to give the listeners uh, a breakdown? Yeah, so this isn't really any too different from any other vulnerability that we found that we found before. You know, bugs happen and vulnerabilities happen, blah, 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 blah. But like this, because of the nature of Zcash and how long this vulnerability had been vulnerable for, uh, some pretty weird things uh, are, are worth noting about. Uh, first off, yeah, according to the Zcash Foundation, who, uh, or not, not the Zcash Foundation, but the Zcash researchers, um, because it, they found out about it on March 1st, 2018, and it wasn't publicly, publicly reported until like a few weeks ago, that's a lot of time. Uh, and so someone, that's a lot of time for someone to know this vulnerability and specifically this vulnerability would allow someone to mint infinite numbers of Zcash currency, Zcash tokens, whatever, whatever the currency is without anyone knowing. Uh, and so there's a lot of trust going on because, you know, not, not the whole world knows about this vulnerability, but like a few people do maybe at minimum three people, probably more like five, six, seven people, somewhere somewhere around that number, I would guess. I have no I have no information about this, so I'm just spitballing. But somewhere around there. And so it only takes one person to understand that there's a vulnerability and how to exploit it and they can secretly go and mint new Zcash. And because Zcash is private, no one will ever find out. And so like there's there's absolutely no disincentive to do that. Just go print yourself some invisible money. Uh, and you can start discreetly selling it through, uh, you know, any exchange or, you know, Zcash is on Gemini. Like you can go and swap those out for dollars. And, and so like, I'm not saying anyone did it, but like the, the possibility is there and that's just kind of whack. Uh, it doesn't really make me feel safe if I were to hold myself hold any of my value in Zcash. And those same people that knew about the exploit and you're trusting them are also the ones that are coordinating the hard forks and upgrades on the network. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is like if I were to roll the die, uh, I mean, I guess I actually wouldn't want to make that gamble that they did or didn't. But like on top of that, like unknown, per, perhaps unknown inflation. And then also Zcash is like incredibly high inflation anyways. It just doesn't make me feel very secure. I don't know why people value Zcash so much when when zk snarks is available for any token on Ethereum. Like we don't need we don't need a token just to tr just to do a beta for zk snarks anymore. Like thanks Zcash for figuring out zk snarks, but like that that tech is on Ethereum now, and and now we can do use it with Dai, so we don't have to have our own like volatile cryptocurrency. The this could just be done on die meme is gonna start emerging amongst the Ethereum people. Oh, it already has, dude. You guys, you're like Bitcoin maximalist two point It's fucking stupid. Well, cause like some of the things you guys talk about, it's not wrong, but it's not unique to Bitcoin. 
Like DAI is just a better cryptocurrency for a lot of purposes. We'll see. And interesting to note about why the base protocol maybe shouldn't be private uh, for this reason and this reason alone. So like you'll you'll be able to have private Bitcoin on Lightning Network and you'll be able to have private Ether and ZK Snarks Ether. But the consensus layer and and stuff like that, that will all that should always be transparent simply to prevent this from ever happening. Um, it's always something about like, do we know the supply, the total market cap of ZK, Zcash? Like, no, we must not. And same thing for Monero. And so like you don't actually have any way to do any sort of quantitative analysis as to the valuation of the whole thing at large because there could be there could be an unknown number of of these currencies. No, they both could they both theoretically could be scams. The interesting thing about this vulnerability is that it was only within so in Zcash there is shielded addresses and then there's transparent addresses. So it was only in the shielded like the the exploit was in the shielded addresses. Ah, so the exploit was the only place it could be where we would also be worried about this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um and the story goes is with their hard fork upgrade had funds inside of a shielded address to go unshielded and then back into shield shielded on the new version. So that was essentially like an audit of the chain. So theoretically, if anyone could actually have gotten away with cashing out on this, the only people who could have done it, you know, without getting caught at all, um, where people were insiders, really, because people who knew what were gonna, what was gonna happen with the heart, with the upgrade, people who knew about the issue, um, and you know, obviously competent enough to execute it inside the discrete or the shielded addresses, and then um, sell OTC or whatever. It's a centralized coin. Like, what are you gonna expect? I I just have not heard one good value proposition about Zcash. We'll let it die there. All right, so I know that the meat of this, you have like a freaking paragraph in our show notes about the current state of Ethereum and a piece that Amin put together. So why don't you uh, you get this started and then I can uh, chime in with my thoughts. Okay, sounds good. So Amin wasn't actually the lead behind this, but he did help uh, he did help write it. This this report was mostly written by Matt Slipper and Dan Sue Sue of Goikan. I don't know what that is. Um, and so it's, it's a document that went around the Ethereum community and, and generated a ton of conversation just because it had a lot of interesting and good and worrisome points to talk about. Uh, and so if you consider yourself uh, an Ethereum community member, you should definitely read this uh, read this article. But if you would just rather me summarize it for you, you can listen to that here. Uh, so I'm going to go and, and hit on the big pair of points in the, in the document. Um, and so the method that this document was put together was a video call from from these authors from the various ETH 2.0 teams, Nimbus, Lodestar, Artemis, Lighthouse, Prism. Uh, these are all ETH 2.0 teams. Prism is Prismatic Labs. Lodestar is Chain Safe Systems. Uh, Nimbus is the Status Team. And each implementation were asked questions encompassing the following functional areas: the status of the team, the status of development, roadmap launch considerations, dependencies, comparison to other implementation teams, and recommendations. We asked each team their likelihood and under what conditions they would give up development. All of the implementation teams we spoke to were committed to seeing Ethereum 2.0 through to completion as long as funding exists to continue development. This is an important point to underscore as it implies two things. First, the implementation teams care deeply about shipping Ethereum 2.0 and are willing to weather the frustrations and problems that crop up along the way. Specifically, we received answers such as, we'd be dead before giving up, and this is going to happen no matter what, in response to our questions around what it would take for them to give up. However, the implementation teams are not immune to market realities. If Ethereum fund, uh, Foundation funding dries up or the larger entities funding individual implementation efforts, such as consensus or status, turn off funding, then there is a possibility that the teams will be forced to find other work. How many of these teams are associated with a token? So Nimbus, um, did any of I is think that that's it? it? Okay. 
Yeah, it's interesting the uh, the separation of teams and projects from tokens in Ethereum uh, is, is is a growing trend I'm seeing. You want to get into that a little more? Yeah, just I mean, again, I feel like the Bitcoin memes are emerging in the Ethereum community, which is interesting. And one of those things is like a disdain for unsavory funding. You mean like bad ICOs? Yeah, or ICOs in general, or forcing your token and the token economics into your model so that way you can get the funding. Yeah, for sure. I wouldn't say that that was ever absent from from the Ethereum community. A lot of the Ethereum community members don't really like uh, ICOs, um, but that's a separate subject. All right, next section. This uh, section talks about uh, the changing code base that all the development teams are working on and the, the complexities and issues surrounding that. The Ethereum 2.0 spec has experienced a high level of churn over the past year. According to one person we interviewed, the spec has, quote, entirely changed since the middle of last year and continues to go undergo regular surgery as issues are found and ironed out by the research team. Every aspect of the spec is subject to change. So what that's saying is that because these teams are just distributed all over the world and aren't really like syncing up all the time, sometimes one team will change some shit that will change the shit for another team. Uh, and so that it's hard to work on, on things like that because you know, the foundation that you're working on constantly is changing. Um, but back to the article, what they, uh, back to reading out of, but back to the article for part B, there have been some several promising developments over the past few weeks to reduce churn. First, according to the research team, there is an ongoing effort to start versioning specific areas of the spec in order to make clear which areas are stable enough for implementation and which are still being actively researched. Second, the research team believes that changes are slowing down and that deep reorgs of the spec itself should be rarer now. A cultural shift is occurring as well. The impact a particular change will have on implementation teams is now considered as part of, the, of new spec proposals. As a result of these developments, implementation teams unanimous, unanimously agree that the spec in its current state is implement, imp, implementable. So that's, that's a huge sentence. Uh, as a result of these developments, implementation teams unanimous, unanimously agree that the spec in its current state is implement, implement Jesus Christ. <laughs> implementable. Impl implementable. Thank you. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Um, so there's a ton of work to do, but we have something that could theoretically go live. Uh, and so, you know, there's there's the, this article is kind of like a yin and a yang. There's a negative and then there's like the, the opposing positive to it. And so, you know, these distributed teams are having a hard time coordinating, but they're starting to really figure it out. All of the implementa implementers we spoke to are working towards the testnet launch in March. What that launch look like, what that launch looks like, and what happens afterwards varies significantly from team to team. As a result, it is difficult to say with clarity what the actual deliverable in March will consist of. Things become increasingly hazy past the testnet. None of the teams were able to estimate when phase two, that is, the complete Ethereum 2.0 specification, including cross-shard operations and EVM, will be mainnet ready. Since some teams received grant money for the beacon chain specifically, it is likely that the implementation teams will need additional funding to complete the spec. So, funding is always an issue. And then the next section, no Ethereum 2.0 lead. From an organizational perspective, no single person is responsible or accountable for making sure that Ethereum 2.0 lands and lands in a way that matters to the Ethereum community at large. Danny Ryan fills part of this role. He took it upon himself to be the liaison between the implementation and research teams, and his efforts are highly appreciated. Access to Danny isn't consistent across implementation teams. However, some express that they wish that they could have more access to him. So I have a quick question. And yeah, So sure. they're saying Testnet is going to launch in March. I, I'm curious, what is going to happen first? The ETH 2.0 testnet launching or Constantinople? Constantinople. For sure. I mean, dude, March is next month. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I, I mean, they're unrelated, I think. They might be happening around, around the same time. They're, they're just parallel tracks. They don't, they don't really have too much to do with each other. Constantinople is all about Ethereum 1X, and Ethereum and 2.0 is, is generally unrelated to that. So for, with this last paragraph about not having a, cent, a central Ethereum 2.0 lead and then citing Danny Ryan, 
very fortuitous because at the start of uh, recording this episode, Danny uh, Ryan sent out a tweet thread about this subject in particular. So now I'm going to read that. There's been a lot of discussion around leadership in Ethereum 2.0 this past week, much around the lack of it. I tend to see it the other way. Ethereum is strong because of abundant world-class leadership. Want two, Vitalik is a brilliant computer scientist, but mathematician and economist. He leads the cutting-edge research that has sculpted ETH 2.0 into a brilliant protocol. He is more than he is more dedicated to Ethereum than humanly seems possible, and consistently, constantly drives it forward. Three, Drake Justin makes sure the protocol is the best it can be. He can okay, it's just a bunch of promise uh, compliments about different leads. So Drake Justin. I'm going to mess this one up. Xiao <laughs> Wang, Wei Wang, and then also ETH Hub and Git, Gitcoin. Uh, and then and then he finishes the thread off. People have rightly noted that I too am a leader in this process, but I am one of many. Decentralization in Ethereum is not leaderless. In fact, it is the opposite. And through this, I expect we thrive. So some interesting commentary there. And then they, uh, the article gets into how Ethereum's narrative is controlled by people outside of the research and development progress uh, process. And so I think this is really interesting. The things that drive Ethereum 2.0's narrative, i.e. when it'll ship, when it'll, what it'll, it'll be useful for, and how developers can use it, is more driven... Uh, is driven more by pros like Presswitch than Prismatics. And James Presswitch released uh, an article that just talked about what Ethereum 2.0 is, but he's not actually a researcher, I do not believe. And in comparison to Prismatic Labs article, Presswitch's article kind of got shared and adopted as the narrative of Ethereum 2.0. Since the information is more directly relevant to the day-to-day work of Ethereum users, we commend the Ethereum 2.0 teams for their commitment to transparency and obviously want technically focused updates such as the one above to continue. However, if nobody from the research or implementation teams provide additional context when around when Ethereum 2.0 will be ready and what it will look like when it is, others will continue to step in and do it for them. As a result, it will be difficult to correct expectations to be set and lived up to. So there's a lot of emphasis on the on the research teams basically because they have so much work to do. There's so few people qualified to do this and then uh People are, are the, the creators of this document are saying, well, these people also aren't creating any content to be internalized and consumed by people like me who have a podcast and, and then give it out to people like you, the listeners. And so because the research teams aren't doing it, you know, other community members are doing it and they sometimes get things wrong. Uh, but that kind of spirals out of control because there's no central point to, to say what's right and what's wrong. And then the last major point that this article makes that I want to talk about is long-term funding, which is a hairy subject. We believe that incentivizing long-term continuous development on Ethereum 2.0 clients is critical to the success of Ethereum 2.0 launch. The source of continued funding for implementation is ambiguous and a source of worry. If the Ethereum Foundation or an alliance of other interesting parties pooled money and provided clear funding amounts with associated timelines, it would remove many worries about how client projects will continue to fund maintenance and new features once Ethereum 2.0 is launched. So kind of weird, weird incentives there where like a lot of these teams, once they finish their tasks and then Ethereum 2.0 gets up and running, like then they're out of money. Then they don't have a job anymore. I mean... uh, or they probably do. They'll probably be able to find funding somewhere. But for what's promised to them right now, like I, they just have the, the funding to build Ethereum 2.0. Uh, and so in order being able to monetize their services and their teams and to, for their teams to stick together in order to continue to build cool stuff, they, they need to be funded into the future. So that's kind of where the conversation turned to Amin Soleimani and Moloch DAO, which is going to be a DAO for contributing funds to people who need it on Ethereum. And we're gonna we're gonna have a mean on after ETH Denver, uh, where he will uh, release Moloch Dow and Moloch Dow will go live. So we'll get to talk to him a little bit more about that. Um, but just so many different topics to talk about, and I'm really really grateful for these people to come together and and do the work to really investigate what the hell is actually going on across these various distributed teams if, with Ethereum 2.0. So big shout out to you guys. Thanks for doing that. Something that I think is kind of interesting about this long-term funding aspect and y- what you pointed out specifically, which is um, which is that the incentives are kind of weird here where uh, these teams are getting fundraising to do a task and afterwards 
they either have to find a way to monetize their work or, you know, they're kind of, you know, out of funding, which kind of brings up like, is funding mechanisms like where, you know, the ETH Foundation gives out a bunch of grants, like kind of grant based research. Is that the most efficient way to even develop this kind of stuff? Uh, so I would like to hear what your thoughts are on that. Um, it sounds like, you know, Moloch Dow is very much in that era as well, which is, you know, everyone puts their skin in and then um, decides on how it gets invested. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, and there is something like the inefficiency of some, because the Ethereum Foundation is a little bit like a government of sorts where they kind of dictate what, how and what gets built with what money. And it's not really following, you know, free market capitalism. So it's therefore going to be inefficient and, and not really doesn't really have the benefit of the free hand of the market. Um, but at the same time, this kind of goes and runs parallel with how you start a blockchain in a centralized manner. Whereas Ethereum is starting with a centralized ICO and starting with a very few number of people. And then the Ethereum Foundation is the central body that has a bunch of funds. And everyone is trying to get decentralized as fast as possible, but also not go so fast that we don't correctly build the platform uh, along the way. Uh, it's probably not the best source of, of creating development, but I don't know how I would replace it with anything better. Uh, it's kind of just the unfortunate way that we have to do this. Um, and, 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 and sometimes it's not so bad. Like Vitalik, uh, you know, did his famous YOLO tweets and gave out like 3000 ether to three different teams, which allowed, uh, I can't remember I can't remember who, but somebody was working full-time at Google. And then because Vitalik donated a thousand ether to his team, he was able to go full-time on Ethereum 2.0. So stuff like that, that we know definitely works. Um, I, I, I wouldn't want it to be any other way simply because I don't know if any other way is better. Personally, I would challenge that idea a little bit. Uh, I'm definitely side a lot more with, uh, just open source plus the market, especially with, you know, money based tokens. I think that that is a very, very efficient way to improve these things and, uh, you know, make decisions going forward. But ultimately, that's slower. why I like Bitcoin, right? Um, and ETH mm -hmm. is a different animal. It's a different type of experiment with different incentive structures. So I think it's interesting to see how that is going to play out. Um, I think something that's really interesting about these kind of like economic programs like Bitcoin and Ethereum, if you know, that's one way you can think of, of them is that they test out economic theory in real life better than we've ever been able to test it on a global scale before. So uh, Nick Carter was actually tweeting, tweeting about how analysts are going to fall in love with blockchains because we're going to have so many discoveries about human nature because of blockchains and, and you know, the transparency they kind of give and the data that they create and the patterns that emerge. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see how, you know, these economic systems, you know, really put um, these theories, Austrian economics, fundraising, all this kind of stuff. What funding does is it speeds something up, kind of a little bit going back to what I was saying with how that guy got to leave Google and then go Ethereum full time. The more for full time Ethereum researchers we can get, the faster this thing will get up and running. And I believe this was something that Amin was was saying, like the slower that Ethereum 2.0 isn't out and the longer that we are on Ethereum 1X without EWASM, without sharding, without scale, is further and further incentive for developers to go work on things like Polkadot or Cosmos or God forbid, even EOS. Um, but it, it's kind of in the same way I was talking about Bitcoin splintering off uh, value to its forks. Uh, the, the, the idea is that without the slower progress happens on Ethereum development, the more uh, researchers and developers, when they come into the space of cryptocurrency, they might not actually look at Ethereum because of the slow progress. And so they might go look elsewhere. Likewise, an Ethereum developer might, you know, he needs a dApp that can scale really fast. So he has to unfortunately go build something on EOS if he ever wants to build his dApp. And so Ethereum put out, uh, or uh, Amin put out a tweet that was something like a poll and it was something in the lines of uh let me pause and find it okay so it caused Amin to put out this tweet that's a that's a a poll Amir, uh, ethereum should transition into war mode no maybe but not yet yes immediately 
and see results. And I voted for yes immediately, and so did 46% of the other of everyone else. And then the next highest one was the see results one. And so the the no and maybe not yet got 13% both, which means that all of the all of the Ethereum community people are like, yeah, let's like let's do what we need to do to like treat this whole Ethereum e or cryptocurrency ecosystem as a war zone. Like we need to we need to get our product shipped uh, re ready and shipped as fast as possible. Simply because like if we don't, we're we're bleeding value to the other protocols. Um, so it's an interesting interesting conversations are certainly happening in Ethereum now. Like we've seen a lot of conversations in Ethereum as e Ether as money. Like we had an episode with Ryan Sean Adams and that kind of turned into a conversations elsewhere uh, and then, then Bitcoiners and Ethereum people have started to go head to head. And so like there, there's a, a growing sense of urgency on the Ethereum people to, to not allow lackluster progress. I, I think urgency is good. War mode is good. Like, you know, cryptocurrency is not going to be, you know, cryptocurrency adoption is not going to be easy by any means. It's not going to be peaceful. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it is the peaceful option. There's a lot of other options. Oh, well, yeah. Between, between cryptos, though. Oh, I mean, um, but regardless, I think, you know, in general, this is going to be a battlefield with banks, with governments. So you should be on Warzone. So good job. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like, you know, trying too hard to make things happen too fast, that's also dangerous. I saw Vitalik and Vlad speak, and multiple times Vitalik mentioned trolls on Twitter are asking him when they're going to ship. So it's on his mind, clearly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a, the biggest anti-Ethereum narrative out of the Bitcoin people is that proof-of-stake in Ethereum 2.0 will never come around. And there's no better way to shut up that narrative than to ship ethereum 2.0 and have it be here um so the sooner we can get there the sooner that that narrative goes away fireworks to come like these timelines is like march so we'll talk about it every step of the way and then look forward to our episode with amin uh after uh, ETH denver. yeah I and then also look forward to our episodes while i'm at ETH denver i'm gonna try and do an episode every single day while i'm there so stay tuned for that that's gonna be fun yeah guys make sure to meet up with david he's a pretty good guy in the flesh i don't know lean maybe shorter than you think but definitely <laughs> strong jaw so say what up really attractive yeah i'm lucky i get to look at that face every week Christian, before Amin, we're going to have somebody else that, that you uh, you threw a line to and he nibbled. So who else are we going to have on the podcast? Yeah, we actually just confirmed Murad uh, on our at Must Stop Murad. He's uh, going to be interviewing with us this upcoming week, and we're very excited to pick his brain and probe him a little bit on uh, some interesting uh, thoughts he's been, been dropping recently. Absolutely. We're going to talk to him about Decred. I'm going to talk to him about maximalism. Uh, we're also going to talk about like charts and trading because Murad puts out some of the most like concrete statements about price action and charts. So I kind of want to know like what motivates him to do that. Like at the end of the day, like no one should be holding Murad accountable to if Bitcoin doesn't do what he says it does. But like I, I just want to know why he's compelled to throw out the most like concrete looking charts out there. So props to him for, for putting his name on the line for doing that. Oh, yeah. And, of course, guys, make sure to support the show. I want to see more retweets. I love retweets. Retweets are the best. Please retweet us more. Guys, every time that we release an episode and we don't get 10 retweets, we're going to ask for more retweets next episode. So the best way to not hear us like pander for your retweets is to retweet us we wouldn't do it if it actually didn't mean so much to us like we don't have advertising it's just me and christian doing this out of our own like interests and so the, just we're just asking for the smallest favor from you just retweet the episode or give us a review on itunes those are equally awesome things to do for us all right guys thanks for tuning in make sure to follow the show at pov crypto pod you can follow me christian at ck underscore snarks David, where can they find you? You can find me at Trustless State, both on Twitter and on Medium. Thanks for listening, guys. Stay tuned for our upcoming episodes. We're going to have some sweet ones. All right, rock and roll. you <laughs>
Will you just see?